I declare the fifth session of Gold Standard University Live open, and would you please give a tremendous welcome to Professor Ansel Beckett. Thank you very much, Philip. Thank you very much, Marcus. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. I know you are all friends of Gold Standard University Live. It's a sad occasion in a way because we advertise it as the last session. Well, as a partial compensation for that, I may want to make an announcement that there will be an add-on uh, short weekend uh, session, call it session six if this is session five. That will be in Hungary, the uh, Martinum Academy, which was our host on, on two or three previous occasions. And just please put it down on the calendar. The date is, I think, March the 21st. It's a weekend, two day. Sorry. 27, 28 of March, a two-day event, and the topic is tentative, but it's the uh, vaporization of the derivatives tower. Uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens between now and then. I, I want to make another announcement. Uh, for me, it's a rather happy one. I hope you will share my feelings. I was in uh, San Francisco, California just the previous week, and uh, there is a San Francisco School of Economics, actually. It has been around for over half a century. I think officially it was registered in the state of California in 1951 and they invited me to become professor of monetary science as a member of the faculty of uh, San Francisco School of Economics and I was very happy to accept this and I take this as the first announcement it hasn't been announced on the internet yet but it will be shortly. I want you to know it, about it first. Uh, I will uh, try to do my best to continue the message which I have been uh, uh, spreading uh, for a number of years now because Gold Standard University started on the internet in the year 2000 and one, and then it went live a little later because we had a sponsor. Unfortunately, sponsor withdrew his sponsorship, so that I had to decide, I had to make a hard decision, and I just thought it was too much for me to uh, do the uh, academic or scientific part of it, and also look after the nitty-gritty of logistics organizing and so on and and I announced that uh, we are winding down the uh, gold standard university but now it's a happy occasion for me to make this announcement because uh, the uh, San Francisco School of Economics has not only its background and history but also it has its 
um, continuous existence and courses. Let me just say very briefly how we fit in. At present, a uh, full slate of courses at the school consists of three lecture series, each lasting for ten weeks. And the first one is uh, basic economics uh, in the style of Henry George. I'm not going to tell you about it. Those who know uh, recall that he was a 19th century American economist. I have nothing to do with that part. And the third uh, course, the third lecture series, also 10 weeks long is on the US Constitution. Now I fit in right in the middle the second lecture series, 10 weeks is on money and banking and I am going to rework the offering what I had on Gold Standard University around this program and will prepare notes and will deliver some of the lectures, not all of them, because I can't afford that long an absence from my home uh, in Hungary, but I do intend to go to San Francisco for at least a two-week, maybe a three-week period uh, <clears throat> during that course. Time-wise, lecture the first lecture series starts on January 21st and goes on for 10 weeks. Uh, the second one, which is my offering, entirely mine. In other words, I'm not making any deals and compromises with Henry George or anybody else. It, they approved, uh, the, they, they considered what my message was. They know about the refinements I'm planning to add and so on, and they accepted it on full faith. So we have a perfect uh, understanding. There is no uh, difference of uh, views on that. I'm very happy about that and I'm thankful to the gentleman at the San Francisco School of Economics. So that will start for your information in, uh, in July, I guess July the 15th, but I'm not so, uh, certain about the date, but uh, just to give you a rough idea. And it will be complemented with what uh, the school calls a webinar. Now, I am, I am not up to date on these new English words, a webinar. I guess it's a combination of website and s seminar. So it's, it's a crossbreed. But uh, I, for a more conventional description, uh, could be a, a correspondence course. In other words, you could register for that, this without being present in San Francisco for a 10-week period. And uh, through the internet, as a medium, you communicate, you can ask questions, your questions will be answered, and so on. So it, it's a living enough. Uh, thanks to the internet, we can do that today. We, probably couldn't do something similar uh, 10 years earlier, but let's take advantage of the blessings of 
of um, the technology, and this is what we plan to do. So for uh, all those of you who are interested but not able to go to San Francisco uh, in person, uh, you can uh, inquire. I'll put on the internet on my website the details where to get full information on this, and as I say, you can register for uh, for this uh, webinar uh, version of basically the same same course. Um, it will be a low-cost arrangement, I am told. I am not involved in that detail. That's up to the school, but they are telling me that uh, it's, it's uh, uh, priced in a way that uh, Every, even modest budgets can can afford. So that's that's the good news, and I'm very pleased to uh, be able to announce it here to you. Let's hope that uh, we'll survive the uh, difficult times which are ahead of us, and uh, we'll be able to continue this initiative which we have started under the name Gold Standard. University. If there's any question, just brief question concerning this announcement. You didn't have to make a compromise like having to wear a Ben Bernanke beard or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> he said you didn't have to uh, compromise like having to have a Ben Bernanke beard or one of them. I understand the uh, registration is limited to 20, in, that's for those who are attending in San Francisco, but there is no limitation on numbers uh, for the webinar. I heard numbers half a million. <laughs> they would be happy to tackle. <laughs> what university is associated with? It's it's independent of any university. It's, it's called San Francisco School of Economics. It has an affiliation with the Henry George Institute. But I, I'm new to, I have known Henry George, of course. I have read his book and I have uh, uh, had the opportunity to discuss it with people. Uh, but um, I'm not really familiar with this Henry George Institute, which I think exists in, it, it's headquartered in New York and is branching out. And this um, uh, San Francisco School of Economics is. Uh, the arm of an arm of, but I would say it's really independent. I, I don't think <laughs> they asked for clearance as far as my course is concerned from New York. They just went ahead with it and we have an agreement on that. So, uh, but, but uh, there is a loose affiliation for your information with the Henry George Institute. All right. Well, so uh, let's get started. I uh, want to say uh, before I say anything else that so much happened, historical and in many ways catastrophic events have happened since uh, I see some familiar faces here since we have met last that um, 
we don't plan to stick too rigidly to this program. In other words, if I may say, let's have it like a command performance. If the, the, the participants present have an interest to hear a little more about our assessment of the economic crisis uh, which we are uh, having now, uh, more than the technical details of basis and basis training, then we'll, we'll make an effort to accommodate this wish. And this will, we are not going to take polls or show of hands or what have you, but it will become clear through the question period just what the orientation of the interest is. If you, are, if you would like to hear more about the crisis and our views and so on, then we'll be happy to accommodate this. But officially, the uh, title of this uh, series is uh, a primer on bases, on gold bases in particular. And, and I, I broke it down to three components. One is the basis, the gold basis in particular, is a trading tool for gold investors. We don't have a, oh, we have a flip chart. Okay, so I may, may uh, want to use it, not just now. Um, how you can put the gold basis to use to advance your uh, program of trading gold for an investment. And secondly, gold is a marketing tool for gold miners. And thirdly, for everybody else, the basis is an early warning system. Now, I'm just assuming, but let's uh, check if uh, my assumption is correct that uh, there is no practically no representation of the gold mining industry in the audience here. So if I'm wrong, that somebody feels that his interest is the gold mine, please show of hands. No, so I was right. Gold miners are not my friends. You know? I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why, because I, I used to own some gold mining shares, and I still own some, not very much, but I still own some, basically because I got stuck with them. So <laughs> but, uh, but that's not the reason. The reason is probably that I have uh, I, uh, I have been known for being non-compromising. The, the gold mining industry represents a very special agenda, and they are not always in harmony with what I consider to be the interest of society at large. But that's not the place and time to go into this. I, I just feel that they know instinctively that uh, uh, there is a little bit of overlap, but not a very great deal of my interest in looking at the gold standard as a kind of 
monetary system which would save uh, society from a very great danger. Their interest is, whatever it is, is different from, uh, from ours. So, uh, the second point, uh, basis being a marketing tool for gold miners, will be de-emphasized. I will mention it because if you want to understand basis, you also have to know what other people are doing the basis for their own reasons. You have to be aware of them, but uh, whatever special points this would bring out, I will de-emphasize and concentrate on the two points which remain. One is gold basis as a trading tool for gold investors. And the second is gold basis along with silver basis, an early warning system for everybody else. Uh, by early warning system, I mean uh, a system which gives you advance warning about the collapse of the international monetary system. I think we are closer to that point now than we have ever been before because of the events, the, uh, the very uh, drastic, very shocking and cataclysmic events which have unfolded uh, during this year, but also it is important to remember that they started already in the previous year, 2007. So let me say a few words <coughs> about this crisis. I put the date of starting of this crisis, February 2007, that's last year. <clears throat> to most people this may sound a little bit too early because very, very few people became aware that something extraordinary was happening in February of last year. Most people uh, became aware of the problems as they emerged in, in the month of August of last year and of course more and more ever after. And by this year it's a fully blown crisis. Only those who don't want to recognize the problems can ignore it. It's, it cannot be ignored anymore. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is an extremely serious world crisis. It's not a subprime crisis. It's not a real estate crisis. It's not specific to the United States or to any other country. It's a global crisis. We are all in the same boat, in the same lifeboat, and we, our survival is at stake. We just have to be aware what's going on. I may add that the uh, uh, academ academia, I like uh, to combine the word academia and media because of the, uh, the 
rhyme, <laughs> uh, which is there. Uh, it's it's uh, they are not helpful. Academia is not helpful, and the media is not helpful. In particular, I blame the uh, professional financial journalists, who are not well prepared themselves, and they don't seem to be interested in improving their background so that they could interpret events properly as they unfold. This is very unfortunate. Most of the individuals are left uh, to their own devices to make uh, out what they can from the events from one day to the other. They are presented with the facts, but when it comes to background uh, analysis, then they are shortchanged. And this is, as I say, very unfortunate because our survival literally is at stake. So we try to, what we can uh, to have this uh, uh, fill, fill the need and do what we can to interpret events for uh, people uh, who are uh, without, uh, without their fault became right in the center of the eye of the storm and they are exposed to all kinds of dangers and damages and just tell them what they could do uh, to save themselves, save their children, save their uh, economic uh, wealth, health and uh, try to survive. This is going to be a long crisis if you uh, compare it to the world depression of the 1930s you will see that we have to think in terms of decades rather than just a few short years. Also a, a very a conspicuous feature is I have been advocating this point of view for at least 10 years on the internet uh, I am sure uh, most of us, so many of you can confirm that because I know that you have been uh, reading my output uh, for, for years um, I have always been advocating uh, the view that this is probably going to have a deflationary or depressionary uh, unwinding. The, the, the great economic and financial monetary problems we have will not be resolved through a one-shot hyperinflation value of money is wiped out and then we can start a new the book and the new with the new currency and then everything will be happy ever after. That's not the way it. Uh, I I uh, emphasize it should turn out. There will be much pain and prolonged suffering for practically everybody at every level of the social uh, spectrum. And the type, the pain I'm talking about will be deflationary and uh, depressionary pain rather than uh, hyperinflationary. So it's not going to be a very simple strategy which takes care of the needs 
of the people it will be uh, it will call for a much more complicated strategy which has to take into account the occasional um, uh, backlash such as right now the uh, uh, the fantastic appreciation of the US dollar um, uh, I uh, for the rest of this uh, session I am not going to may say US dollar every time I I know this is Australia they also call the currency dollar but when I will say dollar from now on it will always mean the US dollar just for the sake of simplicity so uh, here is the problem uh, it's not a one-way street that the dollar has been uh, hurt, has been wounded, and it is now going to uh, disappear from the scene, and uh, if it will not be abrupt, at least it will be a gradual, because there will be very violent kickbacks, there are very violent reactions, and one has to be prepared for that. I will, will have more opportunity to talk about it. Right now, since I mentioned the dollar appreciation, I just say uh, this to you, that not for a moment should you expect or entertain the idea that the dollar can make a comeback. I don't think the dollar can make a comeback. It's mortally wounded. It has been God knows long enough uh, an agony for seeing the dollar going downhill and it still does that because the interesting thing is that the dollar is right now very strong in spite of the fact that it's still losing its purchasing power at the same rate as it has been do, uh, losing before. So, uh, so if the dollar is strong there are some other unrelated causes, not fundamental, but some technical causes for this strength of the dollar. So I just cannot go on without saying what it is. But basically, if you want to simplify it, we could say the dollar is strong and may get stronger and uh, it will confuse a lot of people, a lot of investors uh, who had the right idea but they did not factor in that deflationary component. What happens is that as the overall symptom of deflation and depression is falling interest rates uh, not along a straight line, but zigzag type of falling the rate of interest. And uh, this is interesting because most economists would say, no, no, it's falling prices. Well, I for 10 years had to argue with people that even if you don't see prices falling, and that's before the crisis came, uh, there, there is, there are signs which shows that this is either coming or it's already there in a hidden form. After all, losing market share is a form of weakening prices. After all, uh, uh, when uh, when uh, c countries have to 
reorganize their uh, production and so on. To this could also be a hidden way. Of, now we don't. Ha I don't have to argue anymore. It's it's crystal clear that the prices are falling. I mean, whatever you think of. Uh, uh, base metals, uh, um, agricultural goods, including wheat and, and um, I, I don't know. Well, including gold and silver prices are falling, but the interesting thing is that they stick out, the gold and silver prices falling less than any other commodity prices, which is very interesting. So uh, what I'm saying here to you is that the falling prices are, to my mind, secondary, but now, if you are discussing this with others, you will see that they have to agree to it, that this is a deflation, this is a depression, because we have uh, falling prices as well. But to my mind, the primary <coughs> uh, indicator of a deflation is the falling interest rate, which has a consequence. It has the consequence that uh, uh, capital is eroding. In some cases, capital is being destroyed, outright destroyed. And this is being done inconspicuously. It's an insidious process and very few people are equipped to uh, diagnose that uh, because because conventional bookkeeping is not uh, interested in them in in documenting this uh, erosion or even destruction of capital so it will burst on the scene unexpectedly when the capital is already gone. And uh, the uh, CEO will be surprised just as much as the last employee of that firm whose capital has been destroyed. And, um, and that is very much part of the problem. And. Um, I, I just want you to keep that in mind that in uh, deflation, a depression as serious as this, capital, the cause is always not the vanishing of demand as Keynes suggested, but it's the vanishing of capital. And this is happening unobtrusively, this is happening in a devious way which mis would mislead almost everybody. So that's what we are facing now and that's what you have to watch for and be prepared for. And uh, everything else follows from it such as unemployment and uh, uh, wholesale, uh, wholesale uh, uh, defaults and, uh, and uh, folding of uh, firms and a, a general decline in economic activity. <coughs> so this is the background. We have this almost unprecedented uh, 
monetary and financial crisis which is developing into a general depression. There will be false prophets, especially at universities and in the media, who will say, no, that's it, we hit the bottom from now on, it's uh, the light at the end of the tunnel is there and it will get uh, lighter than every day. I don't think so. I um, don't enjoy this role of being the Cassandra and, and not seeing uh, the way out as early as others, but we just have to be realistic. We are the starting point of this depression, and I think I can call it a depression by now, because it became clear that that's what we have, is uh, the starting point of this depression is lower than the starting point of the last Great Depression, 1930s. And there are several aspects of this, but I mention only one which is very convincing. The credit of the United States government was extremely strong in 1929-1930. The uh, United States was the greatest uh, a creditor country in the world. Uh, there was just no question about the financial strength of the United States government. And unfortunately all this uh, goodwill which has been built up for, for several hundred years ever since the establishment of the American Republic has been dissipated between the intervening 80 or so years. This is very unfortunate but the fact is that the United States government now is the world's greatest debtor country and not just in relative terms but in absolute terms there has never been any occasion when that had been accumulated by one country to the extent as the United States has done it. So uh, of course that will have an effect on the outcome of the uh, depression or deflation and, and uh, the United States government just does not have the kind of command over world resources as it had in the 1930s. And uh, right now you might say, well, there are still foreign governments which accept the U.S. Uh, Treasury debt for goods and services, so it's not an immediate collapse of the US dollar, but don't be misled by this because this, uh, the, the basic facts cannot be papered over with, with bilateral arrangements. I, uh, I'm of the opinion that the U.S. government has a bilateral arrangement with the government of Japan and there's an outcome, this is all secret, this is not uh, over the counter, this is kept uh, confidential, but it, the, uh, facts, the facts speak for themselves. The United States uh, 
and Japan, at least at the central bank level, have been encouraging the, Jap the yen carry trade, which always put the dollar on a strong footing in spite of economic weaknesses uh, because of this uh, uh, carry trade. Um, using the difference between the U.S. Uh, interest rates and the Japanese interest rates as the motivation and the source of profit. That's one conspiracy which, which I am personally convinced that we have. Uh, but there's another one and I think this is this is uh, even more in interesting and intriguing. And the second conspiracy is between the U.S. government and the government of China. I don't have any facts to support this, so please take it uh, as a kind of intuitive uh, insight on my part, uh, which uh, I certainly don't, I'm not prepared to defend in any kind of scientific uh, debate, but I find it very difficult to escape that conclusion. Let me just explain what I mean. What I mean is that the, uh, that the government of China is surrendering real goods and real services uh, against payments in uh, irredeemable promises because the uh, paper which China takes in and by now accumulated according to some estimates two trillion dollars, fantastic sum uh, I don't think we have ever had a country with a greater foreign exchange reserve than China has presently mostly consisting of US dollars when when this is going on, and it's going on in spite of the dollar losing purchasing power, you must ask what is going on. This is just not, uh, it cannot be explained in terms of logic or economics or anything else. So I don't like the rule, but it's, it's a conspiracy theory. Again, the two governments are conspiring. Now, the, the, uh, this calls for further, this doesn't explain the problem because this asks uh, for further clarification. So why would uh, uh, China do this? I mean, in the case of Japan, you might say, well, Japan uh, was uh, uh, loser in World War II and this uh, influence which the US Treasury still has over Japan can be explained in terms of uh, the role of a defeated country. They uh, have to follow orders. Some, uh, some orders are uh, open, in the open, some are not so much in the open. Well, the, the same reasoning doesn't apply to China. China is in the position to defy the United States, and it's not. 
Although they, the Chinese central bank make, makes noises on occasion that they will uh, have to find uh, other investment possibilities, other currencies, and so on. I don't think they make these announcements in good faith, because certainly if they want to change their policy, they won't uh, make the announcement. They will make the change and keep quiet about it. Because uh, if they do make an announcement, they are inviting speculation to anticipate this and act on it, and that would defeat their purpose. So uh, I think China is being bribed, to be blunt about it, being bribed by the United States. And uh, what happens is that China takes a loss in terms of trade, because it is accumulating uh, dollar balances which are losing their value. This they know, but on the other hand they are compensated by uh, a much bigger uh, plus, which is their possibility of trading, uh, not just American debt, government debt, T-bonds and T-bills and what have you, but also trading silver. I am one of those few who think that this um, silver, we, we have a silver expert so I have to watch my word because <laughs> he may shoot me down. But I... I think that this concept of huge naked short positions in the silver market is a fant by and large it is a phantasmagoria. There is no such thing except as a fleeting uh, market phenomenon, uh, transition from one position to another, or maybe on a small scale, yes, it could happen that people have the guts and they go naked short on silver. But I think the size of the net short position in the silver market has to have another explanation. And this explanation is that it is, yes, a profitable proposition to uh, to sell silver on a covered basis. In other words, you sell silver but you you cover your position in the option or futures market. I'm not going into detail, I just mentioned that there we have to distinguish between naked short and covered short positions. And covered short positions could be extremely profitable if you have large silver resources, which I think China has in good measure. In fact, China is the greatest uh, uh, silver source of existing monetary silver in the world. China has been on the silver standard since time immemorial, and the uh, communist government of China inherited all, all this uh, monetary silver and added to it. China is not selling silver. China uh, uh, is very happy with silver because silver is for Chinese is money. 
So, and and uh, the alternative is paper. So why should they sell silver and exchange it for paper, which is they know better than uh, most of us is that it's just an irredeemable promise. So that is the uh, the picture I I'm suggesting that the uh, strength of the dollar is is very misleading and probably uh, purposely so. Uh, the authorities uh, think it's in their interest to keep the dollar for a little longer. Now, uh, if you ask the question, can this go on forever? The answer must be obviously not. And I will invoke the authority of the Bible, where you can read the very interesting story of the uh, city of Babel. And they decided to uh, to uh, uh, build a tower which will reach to heaven, and they will challenge the authority of God that way. And God punished them, mixing up their languages. Before Babel, the Tower of Babel, uh, the uh, the uh, there was only one language. Uh, presumably, and p people could, could, could communicate, uh, people coming from different parts of the world. But after uh, God uh, punished them for their conceitedness, the languages were mixed up, and uh, that's what we have today, a, a conglomeration of different languages, and people have difficulty in communicating. But the... Um, the uh, modern interpretation of the biblical story is God punishes people not just confusing their language but confusing their currency systems. This is what is happening right now and we have this biblical explanation of of uh, the present crisis. Now, how do, are we doing with time? Because uh, we have this little bit of delay in starting, so uh, how much more time do I have to, to round up this talk and, and to have a discussion and then a break, and after the break, the second? Nathan. Thank you, Professor. Uh, I remember it was about uh, 2004, I think, that you estimated that the U.S. dollar might have as long as 10 years to live because of exactly what you were just saying, the fact that many people are benefiting from the gradual death of the dollar. Uh, if you had this, is, you know, I get asked this question all the time when I talk to the investment advisors. They want to know when gold is going to go up in value, when would I predict it's going to happen. And so I turn it over to you. Would you say that uh, we are on schedule and we have a year left, two years left, three years left? Does the, I mean, is, is, is it unfolding as you expected uh, back in 2004 when you wrote uh, uh, Thank you for your question. I will give you the answer right away. No, no, I had to modify my views, obviously. These events were much greater. I, I am not going to pretend it to you that I have anticipated this. I have anticipated this, yes, in, in very broad uh, terms. 
but the intensity, the, f- the speed of the crisis is, is way beyond what I uh, expected. And, uh, so uh, the way I modified my view on the longevity of the US dollar is that I, I don't see it uh, 10 years. Uh, I, I wouldn't give it 10 years. But I would give it at least two years. <laughs> Probably more. <laughs> Probably more. I am conscious of the error on underestimating the U.S. the strength. The uh, not the strength. It's not an innate strength. It's the strength of uh, owing to circumstances and and uh, cooperation. I mean, what what we have is a den of thieves, the governments and central banks being members of that particular den. And they are closing ranks, and they it's in their interest. They uh, realize that uh, they just have to... But even if you didn't have that, even if you didn't have that, the logic of the situation, as I explained, I'm basically a believer of deflation and depression. So what is happening is that interest rates keep collapsing. And don't expect it to hit zero because to my mind the collapse is not another cut of one-tenth of a percent, another cut of a but it's halving and halving and halving again and again and again, which can go on forever. There's a big difference between cutting by a, a fixed amount, one after the other, and halving and halving. Because if you keep cutting by a fixed amount, very soon you will get to zero, which is the end of the rope. But that's not what I see. I see, I, and I'm, I'm consciously thinking in terms of halving. So interest rates keep halving, and as a consequence, the, uh, the, the, the capital is being eroded. And, and that means, you know, lower interest rates are translated into higher bond prices. So there is uh, bond speculation on the long side going on. This is pretty well invisible. Bond speculators don't want you to know and uh, understand what they are doing, but they they have a a huge bull market working for them. All the stock markets around the world are collapsing at the same time the bond markets are booming, and that's the best kept secret of the present crisis. And and as this happens, there is vested interest in postponing the end game of this. So the dollar is needed because this tremendous uh, bull market, pretty well invisible, but it is there. You can be sure of that is in the interest of a lot of people. So uh, if there's a danger of making an error in prognosticating what's going to happen, I would say it's underestimating 
the the uh, uh, innate resistance of the dollar to collapse. There are tremendous forces which will uh, exert on on the dollar, but the counter forces, by and large, invisible, uh, are going to compensate for that. So that's why I say at least two years and possibly more. We will have to have. Uh, the dollar and we'll have the dollar and it will be a tug of war and it will be uh, an agony because the uh, the economy is going to deteriorate all at the same time uh, but in the governments will have of course big propaganda that they are doing everything to reverse the situation but so let me just, perhaps we'll have more time to return to this point later. Richard. I don't quite understand this uh, U.S.-China conspiracy. You say, on the one hand, they're taking our $20 for their goods. That's one part of it. And then on the other part, we're allowing them to short silver and to, what, make a bundle in the, in the, in the futures market of silver? What's the quid pro quo? I don't understand. I understand the factors, but... <coughs> okay, uh, China has two accounts. One is the trade account, basically with the United States. China can produce the consumer goods which the American market is ready to absorb. And in payment, they are taking this, these irredeemable promises and piling them up. And obviously, I mean, is there anybody who doubts that China is losing money on that account? Uh -huh. They're bribing their people. Yeah, no, we, uh, we can't. So that's one account, okay, the trade account. The other account is a finance account which China has with the Western world and especially the United States because China is allowed certain privileges which other, other um, participants uh, would not have. And one such thing is that you can actually short, for example, silver or gold uh, without any regard of the annual output. I mean, if you try to sell short two years of wheat out output in the U.S. commodity markets, then uh, the whistle will blow very soon. You can do that. There are laws, uh, you know, you, there's a limit to the amount of short positions, the total gross short positions, uh, which, uh, which uh, uh, any particular futures market can have. But gold is an exception. Silver is another. So, and, and there are many others, many others. You know, for instance, uh, identifying the shorts. There are certain disclosures, the COT report, this and that and that, but it's not going to be possible to identify China as one of the big shorts because China is allowed to employ various brokers and various houses and, um, and uh, now Please uh, re remember I said I <laughs> am re reluctant to put this proposition on the table because I cannot prove it. And I don't think anybody can prove it or disprove it. It's a speculation. 
But is there any other reasonable uh, explanation why uh, this can go on, this uh, this uh, imbalance between the shorts and longs, etc., etc.? I I I have tried, couldn't come up with another explanation. Professor, why would China want to sell naked shorts and depress the price of silver? Not naked. Not naked. Covered naked. They're covered. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Um, isn't the printing of money inflationary? Therefore, we get hyperinflation, not deflation, because the U.S. is printing so much money at the moment. Yeah, he's saying when you print money, isn't it, won't that have a, an inflationary effect? So how can we have a deflationary process going on when they're just running the press? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a, a, a very good question, and obviously calls for an answer. Here's my answer. There are two processes to watch in this context. One is what you are talking about, the, the U.S. printing money or expanding credit, which amounts to the same thing, and this is inflating the money supply. But there's another one which is less well known and certainly less conspicuous is a, a, a spontaneous destruction of money. Because every uh, default, every uh, uh, bank uh, closing doors and so on will have the effect of shrinking the money supply. You know, tremendous amounts of wealth is being wiped out in the stock markets, you see. Now, this certainly has a, a repercussion as far as the amount of money in circulation. If not on the amount, then on the velocity. That's another thing which people sometimes fail to point out. Because money has two dimensions. One is quantity and the other is velocity. And very often you don't know what makes money shrink. It not, doesn't have to be shrinking quantity. It can be shrinking or, or vanishing velocity. So if the stock market collapse does not directly cut the amount of money in circulation, but it can certainly uh, have the effect of uh, slowing down the velocity. But in, in I think in, in most cases you can actually find the, the, the quantity of money contracting. So here are these two things. One has the effect of inflating, the other deflating. And now it's a question who is going to win. If if money is collapsing too fast, I'm suggesting it to you, the Federal Reserve System will not be able physically to compensate for the, for the shrinkage. Physically, I say. I mean, theoretically, you say, sure, here's the computer, a few click, and then, bingo, the money is there. 
it's not enough for the Fed to create electronic money, dollars, electronically. Uh, ben Bernanke is dead on when he says we've got to have helicopters and drop the bloody dollars to the people so that they can spend it. And they have to have the physical money inside. That's right. And, and, and you cannot drop electrical money and, and uh, blips on the screen uh, to the people to, to run out and, and, and grab them and, and go and spend. So there is a physical aspect of it and the physical limits. Now you might say, oh, even so, uh, after all, adding zeros to the one, the, the Fed can print very large denominations. Not so. I've pointed it out again and again in my writings and in my lectures that people already got wise to this and they are sorting out the paper money. They are doing it in the United States and they are doing it in Europe as well. In the United States oh, people are hoarding Federal Reserve notes. But they are not hoarding the 500 bills, they are hoarding the $20 bills. And if they can get them the $5 bills, or perhaps even the $1 bills. <coughs> because that's spendable, without any question. But if you take an extreme situation, uh, that uh, food is scarce, or gasoline is scarce, or whatever, then if you go and buy $10 worth of food and pay for it with a $500 bill, then you are in trouble because they may refuse to give you change. And they will at one point. But if you pay with just as much Federal Reserve notes as you purchase, or a little difference, that will go through. So that's one thing. In Europe it's even more subtle. What happens is, take the euro, which is the uh, common currency of uh, so many European countries in the European Union. They, the euros are issued by individual central banks. But the identification of that central bank is obscured on purpose. However, if you have a magnifying glass, you can read it that this one was issued by the Deutsche Bundesbank and this one was issued by the National Bank of Greece. And people are sorting them out. And they spend the ones issued by Greece and Italy and uh, Spain and some others and the ones they are hoarding, they are not spending, are the ones issued by Germany. You see? So this is happening. I'm, I'm reporting to you something which is already happening in Europe. Of course, ultimately it means the end of breaking up the European, uh, the Euro, but uh, the point which we are discussing at this time is that there are physical limits to the power of the authorities, the central banks, Fed and governments to inflate the money supply because people will reject. This is Gresham law, the classical application of Gresham law. People 
withhold the money they consider more valuable and spend money which they consider less valuable. <coughs> so that's the two forces. And what I'm suggesting to you, if this is not already happening, it will happen sooner or later that the inflating forces will be outstripped by the deflationary forces. Yes. This was the questions. It's the last question. Well, no, last question. Yeah. yeah. Let me rephrase perhaps the question just answered. I agree with you that the deflationary capital destruction is going on at a high rate. Yet you keep talking about the ultimate collapse of the dollar. Doesn't that ultimate collapse of the dollar imply an inflationary blow-off? How else will the dollar collapse except in an inflationary blow-off? You may be right. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to commit myself to your view, but I admit it's a possibility that it will be a clear-cut hyperinflation of the type which Germany had in 1923. But it doesn't have to be that way, and the collapse of the dollar could be piecemeal. Uh, first, uh, the dollar will no longer be accepted by the European community or this or that currency area. There are various currency areas. And, and then trade will shrink accordingly. But it, uh, don't think that the dollar will collapse from one day to the next, which is more or less what happened in, in um, Weimar, Germany in 1923. I, uh, it could, but there are various other possibilities, and, and we have to be broad-minded enough to, to allow these other possibilities as well. All right, <clears throat> that uh, ends the question period for this first session. Um, we will have a 15-minute break and uh, reassemble for the next set. At what time? At, um, it's now 11.27. We'll call 11.30. <laughs> yeah, okay. So let's say 11.45. 11.45. Yes. Very good.